On August 19, 1969, American blues rock singer-songwriter Boz Skaggs released his second album. The stone-solid grooves on this underrated jam come courtesy of the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. The soulful guitar comes courtesy of Skaggs and guest Dwayne Allman. Together, they made Somebody Loan Me a Dime, an FM radio classic. 10 minutes of knockout blues pleading and wailing. Welcome to the 500 Albums Podcast, where we go through the Rolling Stones' top 500 list of greatest albums of all time. As selected by a panel of musicians, music critics, and journalists, and published by Rolling Stone magazine in 2003. My name is Irvin, and today we are looking at number 494 on the list, Boss Gags by Boss Gags. We're back with another regular studio album, this time out of the late 60s, which is one of my favorite eras in music. I had heard of the name Boss Gags before, but I was not really aware of his music. On re-listening to some of his songs, I recognized some of his older stuff from the 70s, but I had never really heard anything from this era of his career. But I'm a big fan of blues music and blues rock, so listening to this album was a treat for me, especially some of the classic songs that got popularized later on because of his success. But it was also really interesting to see his influences from other American music like country and soul. So now that we got the intro out of the way, let's look at the artist. Boss Gags is an American singer-songwriter and blues rock guitarist, born on June 8th, 1944, in Canton, Ohio. And he was born as William Royce Skaggs, and he was the son of a traveling salesman. And because of this, he moved around the country a lot as a child. The family finally settled down, first in Oklahoma and then in Piano, Texas. While going to school there, he got the nickname Bosley, and this got shortened later to just simply Boz. Skaggs was very much musically inclined from a very young age, and he and he learned how to play the guitar at the age of 12. At school, he became friends with another musician, Steve Miller. And in 1959, Skaggs joined Miller's band, The Marksmen, as a vocalist. The two later attended university together in Wisconsin, and here they played in different bands, like the Ardells and Fabulous Night Trains. Skaggs later returned to Texas alone, and here he fronted an R&B band called The Wigs. The group decided to relocate to Europe, but while there they disbanded very quickly. Skaggs remained in Europe alone, but we'll get more into this later. Throughout his career, Skaggs has been quite successful as a solo artist, seeing most of his popularity in the 70s. And he has released around 19 studio albums and has won several awards including a Grammy for Best R&B Song. But besides his solo career, he has also collaborated often with artists like Steve Miller, and he appeared on some of the earlier Steve Miller Band records, and even taking on some of the lead vocal duties here. 
Later in his career, Skaggs also collaborated with Steely Dan members Donald Fagan and Michael McDonald. And they first named themselves the New York Rock and Soul Review. And they later came back together again, but this time as the Dukes of September. Throughout all this work, he has also taken some breaks from touring and recording. For example, in the 80s. Because during this time, he owned and operated a nightclub in San Francisco called Slims. And he would perform here once a year during the New Year's Eve concert. Stags's playing style and singing style has been influenced by a different array of artists and genres like Americana, soul, country, and rhythm and blues. And the artists that have been a direct influence to his music are artists like Bobby Blue Bland, Jimmy Reed, and Curtis Mayfield. So before we take a look at the album of today, let's look at the releases that came before. Starting off with Skaggs' time in Europe. As his band The Wigs disbanded, he himself remained alone in England, where he would frequent the London R&B scene. And besides this, he would also travel around Europe, and he played on street corners trying to get noticed and live off his music. And this is how he ended up in Stockholm, Sweden. And here he was offered time to record in his studio. And in the studio, he recorded a collection of 12 covers and traditional blues arrangements. The album was completely performed by Skaggs, and he only used an acoustic guitar and a an harmonica. The album, named Boz, was released by the label Polydor in Europe, but it did not manage to sell well, and it went out of print soon after its initial release, never coming out in America. After this, Boss still remained in Europe. But a couple years after, he decided to move back to the US anyway. And this is where he settled in San Francisco. And while he was in San Francisco, he actually reunited with his old friend, Steve Miller, who had now formed his own band and performed at different concerts and festivals. Boss joined the band and he recorded a few albums with them first two albums, Children of the Future and Sailor, both from 1968. And both albums featured some tracks that were solely written and sung by Skaggs. And these albums have a more psychedelic and heavier sound. Something very typical for this time, of course. And this is also shown on a Skaggs pen song, Diamond Dance Romance. The closing track on the album Sailor. look at the time surrounding the release of the album, 1969. 
The late 60s were of course a time of ongoing anti-war sentiment, social revolution and drug experimentation, especially in the city San Francisco, the city where Skaggs settled after returning to the United States. The city became a safe haven for socially marginalized people and it was the epicenter of psychedelic art and music. And Skaggs himself did dabble in this together with the Steve Miller band, but his own influences laid more southward bound. Also the reason why he recorded this record in Alabama. And Alabama was of course an important place for the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s as well, and modeled after the Montgomery bus boycott that happened there in the 50s. Peaceful protest marches were held all across the state. The most notable one being the march from Selma to Montgomery in 1965. And the marches were held to demonstrate the desire of, of African Americans to have the right to vote. All in defiance of racist and segregationist repression. Sadly the protests were met with disproportionate police violence and an event dubbed as Bloody Sunday resulted in a lot of people being wounded by this police intervention. More marches and violence by white supremacists followed after this, but it eventually ended with the Voting Rights Act. But a few years later, following the murder of Martin Luther King Jr., more protests followed, concluding with the Civil Rights Act in 1968, furthering the end of segregation and a move towards more equality in the United States. But in terms of music, the 1960s was a decade where blues music really evolved. First off, through the incorporation in rock and roll music. And of course this started already in the 50s, but the 60s really put it on another level. And it changed traditional blues composition to something heavier, something looser, and something faster. And it was akin to Chicago-style blues, which was very much riff-based, with artists like Elmore James, Albert King, and Freddie King. And a big change came in 1963, when guitarist Lonnie Mack introduced the fast-paced electronic guitar style. And this year was also the first time that it was noted as a different genre, and the term blues rock was coined. Lonnie Mack pulled influences from both typically African-American blues and soul musicians, but as well as more traditionally white country and bluegrass musicians. And by performing his own combination of those two styles, as being a white man, it created yet another term, and some consider it to be a genre, namely blue-eyed soul. And even though there's no real specific characteristic musically, the term was often used to refer to white musicians performing traditionally African-American inspired music. Examples of artists that were described as blue-eyed soul are The Righteous Brothers, Tom Jones and Timmy Euro. So let's look at what started the recording of this album. Because Boskax was still a member of the Steve Miller band when he had the desire to go on a solo career again. And this is also shown of course on Steve Miller records where he had written and sung his own songs. But he did not have the record deal to 
put them on a full-length album. Around this time, Skaggs was living in the neighborhood Potrero Hill in San Francisco. And he was neighbors with Jan Wenner, the co-founder of Rolling Stone magazine. And the two became friends. And Skaggs would show him songs that he had written. And he got feedback on them. And there's a great interview with the Grammy Museum where Skaggs talks about this whole process of showing the music and Jan taking it to the East Coast to get a record deal for him. I was beginning to write my own material. I'd show it to Jan and he really seemed to like it and encouraged me to make some make a demo. And um, he, he was making his first trips as the uh, editor-in-chief back to New York and talking up the magazine, looking yeah. for more backing. And during the course of his trips back east, he was meeting uh, record company executives. Um, uh, uh, Atlantic among those, uh, Jerry Wexler among those. And uh, uh, during one uh, appointment with Jerry, he suggested, he said, by the way, I know this guy. He was in the Steve Miller band, blah, blah, blah. And I've got some a tape here, and we played it for Jerry. And, and the rest is history. No, uh, and... Um, <laughs> Atlantic Records was impressed with his work and they offered him to record a full-length album with Wenner producing it. And Wexler, the executive of the record label, thought it would be a good idea and fitting to record his album at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio in Sheffield, Alabama, because the music produced there was much akin to Skaggs' own style and influences. And the Muscle Shoals rhythm section the ones who created the studio, had played on records by Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett, and the Staple Singers. So Boss decided to check it out, and he visited the studio with the magazine's press badge. And there he met with musicians in the studio, such as Dwayne Allman, Roger Hawkins, and David Hood. But it was quick as they realized that he was not just a journalist, and they recognized him as a musician. So his cover was blown very quickly. After meeting with the musicians and visiting the studio, Boss Skaggs agreed to record at the studio and he invited the musicians of the Muscle Shoals rhythm section to perform on the record as well. Dwayne Allman, however, had just moved to start his own band, the Allman Brothers, but Jan Wenner convinced Allman to return, but just for one week. And this is what motivated the rest of the band to give it their best. Jan Wenner took on production duties as he was well versed in Skaggs' work and knew what he wanted to make. But Wenner was not that technically able. So really most of the technical production was taken care of by engineer Marlon Green. Musically, this album features a great combination of Southern rhythm and blues, soul, and country music, something very characteristic about the Muscle Shoals rhythm section and further embodied through Skaggs himself. Wenner later described how the sound came to be. Quote, I thought we should make a rock and roll record that showcased them as much as Boz. We were listening to Clarence Carter and Nashville Skyline and that album was a combination of those. End quote. The album spans from minor blues tracks to a country cover song to R&B shuffles and vampy country. 
and almost any type of music you'd find in America, and especially in the South, is represented on this record. And Skaggs' mellow and soulful voice seemed to be a great fit for all of these tracks. And he himself later recalled how it was working together with the band. Quote, There was no great pre-mediation about it. I had songs written that were easily interpreted by this rhythm section. I didn't know to what degree they would pick up on some of those things I was writing. But having Dwayne there, anything was possible with those guys. They could have gone anywhere you could have wanted to go. End quote. The songs lyrically follow typical blues themes such as love, regret, guilt, and loss. But surprisingly, it also features a quite joyous track about release. And this is something that is really important for boss gags in blues music. As he himself explains in an interview, with AXS TV. It was a, the sounds of, of, of escape. And I don't mean literally running away, but it's a bit, a bit emotionally a, a way to, to come out of, forget about one's troubles. And so I, I think there's a joy and a release in, in that music. I'd say release is probably the most essential quality of, like of that music. Now let's actually look at some of these songs. First of all, the opening tracks, I'm Easy and I'll Be Long Gone. And both tracks are great soulful songs, but in particular the former is a great example of Boss Skag's ability to channel soul music that he was so inspired by. And he is of course accompanied by fantastic background singers and rhythm and horn sections, which make this song just a fantastic opener. later compared the opener to Aretha Franklin and this is not too far off as she actually recorded songs with members of the Muscle Shoals rhythm section herself. The next track I'd like to highlight is one of my favorites of the album and it's called Finding Her. And this song features a dobro type of guitar and a finger slide also on a guitar and this is usually found in country music, but somehow this song does not turn out campy in any way. And it's just very beautifully composed. And the music does not explode in any epic way, but it stays mysterious, really telling a story with its vocals. And combined with the guitar playing that lead into a piano instrumental, this song turns into something very moving in my opinion. Finding her there in my doorway I bid her come in and sit down here beside my bed wall. All right then for a while 
dark eyes that slip across the cheek to her My eyes are but your sins, my glory, your wine, my visions, your footsteps, dear boy, and I play. Now, going from such a beautiful moment, let's look at uh, something more fun, maybe. And this is the cover of a Jimmy Rogers country classic called Waiting for a Train. And the narrator of this song talks about taking a trip through the South on the way from Frisco to Dixieland. And as he gets kicked off a train, he admires the open spaces in Texas while he wanders further to where he wants to go. And these lyrics can, of course, be related to Skaggs' own situation when he was still living in Texas and him now wandering down to the South to get closer to what really inspired his own style and music and performing in Alabama. And this song also features Skaggs yodeling, something that he had not done before, but he seems to pull it off quite nicely. I haven't got a nickel, not a penny can I show. Get off, get off, you railroad bum. You slam the boxcar door. Now the final track I of course need to talk about is the legendary Loan Me A Dime. And what some might not realize is that this track is not fully original by Skaggs. It was actually a classic song by Fenton Robinson. And on the last day of the sessions of recording, there was some time to cut one more track and Skaggs remembered this song that he had heard guitarist Elvin Bishop and his band play in Massachusetts not fully realizing that it was a Phantom Robinson track. He still wanted to take a stab at it. So, he called Bishop's lead singer, who recited the lyrics over the phone while Skaggs wrote them down. And as the musicians spread out all over the studio, they began recording. And this turned into a 45-minute jam session. But it was of course later cut down to do about 12 and a half minutes to spare on the time. Somebody loan me a dime. I need to call my old time. Used to be. Somebody loan me a I need to call my old time it used to be Ooh. 
In the final minutes of this song, Dwayne Allman takes the lead with his fantastic guitar solos accompanied by the horn section and he completely steals the show. The album was released on August 19th of 1969, but it was not a commercial success that Skaggs and the rest of the band was hoping for. But the lessons he learned making this record always stuck with him, quote, It was a great place to start. The energy I got, the thrill of experiencing music like that, seeing it come together and going back into the control room and listening to takes. It was so gratifying to know what was possible. That has stayed with me throughout all the years. I always work with the right players to suit the mood I'm going in. It's a feeling I probably have been recreating since I did those sessions in Muscle Shoals." End quote. The album was not picked up by a lot of reviewers or critics, but those who did pick it up seemed to praise it. The highlights were the musicianship between Skaggs, the Muscle Shoals rhythm section, and Dwayne Allman, and some claimed this would launch Skaggs in the public eye by the way he tributed all types of American music. In retrospect, this album has been praised even more, as it got more attention by critics after Skaggs' later success, and a lot call it an underrated gem in his career, an early showcase of his musical skills. So what came after? Well. After the release of this album, Skaggs contributed on a record with some of his old band members who had formed Mother Earth. And thereafter he decided to still go solo, but this time with Columbia Records. And with them he released the albums Moments in 1971 and My Time in 1972. And these albums followed into a bit more soulful direction. And so former Motown producer Johnny Bristol was brought in for his 1974 album Slow Dancer. And this album actually sold pretty well. And it opened up the gates for better production and very sought after studio musicians. And this led to the 1976 studio sessions, this time with musicians who would later form the band Toto the album Silk Degrees was recorded, and this is the biggest success that he has had in his career, both commercially and critically, spawning the classics Lido Shuffle and Lowdown. And this album is praised very highly, and I'm truly amazed that this album did not make the list compared to the one that we're looking at today. So I would definitely give it a listen if you're interested in his music. So obviously Skaggs kept performing and recording, 
but eventually he took a break in the 80s, as I said, to run his nightclub. By the end of the decade, he returned. And this is when he collaborated with the New York Rock and Soul Review. And after some years with some breaks here and there, he once again returned with his group as the Dukes of September. A fully fledged return of his own career came quite recently, in 2013. This is when he started an exploration into his influences, somewhat similar to the album of today. He released the albums Memphis in 2013, A Fool to Care in 2015, and Out of the Blues in 2018. And these albums feature mostly covers of American Roots songs, but also some individual originals, including the song Hell to Pay, which is a duet with Bonnie Raitt. If we look at the influence that Boss Gags had on different musicians, the most obvious ones are of course the people he played with in bands, like in the Steve Miller band, and the founding members of Toto. If we look at this album specifically, it's hard to pinpoint artists that were really influenced by his showcasing of American music. The lack of sales and the lack of press made sure it did not reach a lot of people to influence. But if we look at his later releases, Silk Degrees for example, it seemed to be released at the perfect time, riding the wave of blue-eyed soul success with acts such as Hall Notes, Tower of Power, and David Bowie's Young Americans era. In the studio that he recorded in, however, became a hotspot for other artists to record, with the Rolling Stones recording just a few months after him the singles Brown Sugar and Wild Horses. And after this, of course, a lot of artists followed, by the likes of Paul Simon, Bob Sager, and Leonard Skinner. The studio eventually closed down both of their locations, though, but much later, the studio, or the rooms at least, were rented out again as a recording space. And some recent legendary albums, like Infinite Arms by Band of Horses and the album Brothers by the Black Keys, were recorded there. And this recent success led to a reopening of the studio as a music museum, and it featured in the 2013 documentary simply called Muscle Shoals. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening to it. I can see that you guys are listening to it and I'm very happy to see that. Make sure to follow and subscribe so you get the new episodes in your list every week. Also make sure to rate it, for example, on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out getting the podcast out there. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 500albumspod, which is 500albumspod. Or you can email me with some of your favorite tracks, albums you're looking forward to, any questions you have. And you can do this through 500albumspod at gmail.com. Next week, we're looking at number 493, which will be Yankee Foxtrot Hotel by the band Wilco. So make sure to listen to that album, and I'll see you then. Bye. <laughs>